Thank you for joining the City Growth Church Podcast. Here at CGC, we're a community of imperfect people living in apprenticeship to a perfect God. If you enjoyed today's message, please like, share, subscribe, and leave a brief review to help make this resource more available to your loved ones. God bless you, and let's start tracking together starting with today's message. If you had to potty right beforehand, you do it, right? Like, you got to, you got to handle business. Uh, we'll wait a second for Corey to come back in. I'm going to pray for us, uh, and we're going to dive into the passage. If you don't have a Bible, I don't own a Bible, or just don't have a Bible with you, we have Bibles over on bookshelf. Uh, if you don't own a Bible, that Bible is a gift to you, so feel free to take the Bible with you. Uh, other than that, it's over on this side. Uh, over, yeah, over here. Am I alive? It's all right. I'll kill a little bit of time, right? Woo. So if you have a Bible with you, uh, we're going to be in John chapter 4 today. And you guys know me. Sometimes I get a little long-winded. When you see this, you're going to say, holy cow, how are we going to cover 26 verses? Right? And it's okay. I promise we're going to get there. Uh, but we're in John chapter 4 uh, today. Uh, we're on our second week of a small detour while we're covering the, the Sermon on the Mount, right? Uh, and we're about to go into some really tough passages of Scripture where we are called to actually like tackle our sin and our human nature head on. Uh, so... I'm going to pray for us really quick, and then we're going to dive right into the scripture for today. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we're just so thankful, Lord, that we're, we're able to come together, God, just to celebrate your word, to celebrate your son and the sacrifice that he laid out for us on the cross, God. I just pray that today you'll, you'll use this message, God, that you'll use the teaching of your word, Lord, to, to lift our hearts, to lift our spirits, and guide us one step closer to you. Your Heavenly Gracious name we pray. Amen. So before I can read this passage, I've got to share a little bit of something with you guys. So today, the second week of our detour, it's much like last week. Uh, and it's going to serve as a bit of a reflective passage of Scripture. Uh, so again, it, it's going to be a lot of Scripture to tackle, and we're going to jump into that. But I'm gonna, we're going to see, I don't think anybody... In here, maybe a couple of people might be old enough to remember this, uh, but I'm a, I'm a huge history person, right? Like, I love to study history, and maybe that's why I love to read the Bible so much. Is like, I just really love history, uh, and so this week, I was kind of prepping and practicing uh, what I was going to say this week, and just kind of letting God lift me, and guide me, and, and direct me, and I was, you know, I read history books sometimes, right? And I was studying some history, and I came across something that, that really, really pointed me this week to, to where, where, where God was leading me uh, with this message. And it's this phrase, and again, we'll, we'll see who, who's old enough to remember this, but the phrase, the whole world is watching. It was actually a chant. The whole world is watching. The whole world is watching. And this chant actually comes from 1968. Uh, it was at 
the Democratic National Convention. And I know you guys are like, whoa, he just said Democrat. Okay, it's all, we're, we're one country, right? We're one nation under God together. Get over yourselves. Join me back here in church in a place that is supposed to be focused on Jesus. Now that we're back together again. Uh, and what the this was uh, a group of people known as the Chicago Seven, right? And one of them, he later became like a stand-up comedian. His name was Abby Hoffman. And Abby Hoffman, he was very uh, unconventional, I guess you would say, right? He was very uh, opinionated and, and boisterous. And I believe the phrase was actually credited down the road to Abby. Uh, but the phrase was, the whole world is watching. And I know what you're thinking. You're like, well, what does that have to do with the Democratic National Convention? See, the, the Chicago 7 came into the park in downtown Chicago during the Democratic National Convention, and they told them, the city, multiple times, like, hey, we're coming, we're bringing a lot of people, right? And they, the, the city basically handled it as, we're saying no, so therefore it can't happen, right? So even if you're told no, and you know something is coming, what should you do? You should prepare, right? So what happened is they were very unprepared. And at the last minute when all these, it was called the flower movement. Are you guys familiar with this? Uh, and where this all comes together is my love of the Calvary uh, Chapel Network and Lonnie Frisbee, Chuck Smith is these flower movement. Some of the people that were, were in part of this, the, Charles, uh, the Chicago 7 event, were coming from California, right? And they brought the peace and love, and right? And so some of the protesters were, were peaceful protesters, right? They literally came there to protest against the violence of the Vietnam War. Can I tell you why the Vietnam War was so bad? Pride. Nobody wanted to concede and say, we're fighting a pointless fight, right? We were living in a country in between uh, Johnson and Nixon, and everybody just wanted to be right. Anybody ever ran into that problem in their life? That they just wanted to be right. And what does that do 100, even if you're, you are right, what does that do 100% of the time? It creates conflict. It creates turmoil. So... As the protests turned violent, right, literally blood was being shed in the streets of Chicago for a peaceful protest. Wait, you, bloodshed during a peaceful protest. Okay, just had to get in your mind what that sounds like. All because people were prideful, right? Well, we're right, you're wrong, and you don't get to do this because we said so. And guess what happens? They did it anyway. This caused a lot of conflict. It caused deaths. A lot of injuries, right? And this chant was started, the whole world is watching. It followed the entire trial of the Chicago 7. The whole world is watching. And what this was, was the peaceful protesters, or the flower movement that stayed behind, that then turned the criminal trial into exactly what it was supposed to be in the beginning. A nod to anti-violence. A nod to the fact that we're not always right about everything. And there they stood on the Supreme Court, right? 
And they were not afraid to say, hey, we were wrong. Right? Conflict happened. How we handle this now says the most about our character. The whole world is watching. The, the, the term, the whole world is watching, has been adopted by many people groups. Ready for this? Including the Ku Klux Klan, including the Black Panthers, including, uh, in their own language, the Soviet Union. Right? This chant made its way again to the Berlin Wall as the Berlin Wall fell. The whole world is watching. And I'm here today because once again, I feel like this is a time that we must acknowledge that the whole world is watching. Right? How we handle conflict, how we handle adversity, how we handle having differing opinions over things, the whole world is watching. Right now, we, we live in South Carolina, obviously, right? Ooh, South Carolina. Nobody got excited about that. I'm, I'm cool with it. Uh, and in South Carolina, we have one of the largest groups of the Southern Baptist Convention, right? And if anybody has been following the news or current events, you'll know that literally the Southern Baptist Convention is like fighting amongst itself. You have the progressive side of Christianity, right? that focuses on, on, on peace and love, and they want everybody to feel included. It's called an inclusive movement. And then you have the more conservative side of things. Uh, it, some people will call it the, the old boy system, right, or the good old boy system. And they want things to say a certain way. And one of the biggest things causing conflict right now, I, I forget what the statistic was exactly, but I think it's 86 or 87% or of of Sunday school teachers within the Southern Baptist Convention, can you guess what their sex is? Female. So the people that teach kids within their movement, the basics and the basis of their education are female. And one of the biggest things causing infighting right now between them is whether or not women can be pastors, whether they can be ordained. All right. You guys, I want to be proud of you if you can remember this, but this is known as what? What kind of issue is this? Y'all remember what the word is? <laughs> it is sexist. Definitely that. Tertiary. What does this mean? It means that it has no effect. It has no uh, help or hindrance on salvation. Right? This is a second-hand or tertiary issue. This is something that would definitely be open-handed. And they're allowing this instead of going, you know what, we can have different opinions on it. No, everybody has to have the same opinion, right? Or what happens? Infighting, conflict, pride. The biggest thing affecting the Southern Baptist Convention right now is pride. The fact that you can have a different opinion on something. And it's not just, it's not just this side of things. Wait a minute. Let's now look at bigger picture. We've looked at South Carolina. Now let's look at our country as a whole. People don't want to hear this. Oh. I didn't vote for it. How many times have you heard that? I didn't vote for it. Everybody in here is like, I heard it before. Maybe you've said it, right? By yelling and shouting at someone else, I didn't vote for him, what did you actually help? Nada, right? By shouting, I didn't vote for him. What kind of solution are we getting from this? The solution that we're getting is division. 
Instead of coming together and saying, hey, we got to figure some things out, we're saying, mm -mm, I'm right, you're wrong. Right? That's it. That sounds about correct, right? Now we've looked at the big, you know, we've looked at the big picture of our country. Now let's go back in time. Uh, before I can show you this story, I have to help you understand something. Anybody in here? All right, I know we're in church. And I'm going to ask you this. And I'm not going to yell, you're going to hell. Who in here has seen, read, heard of, it kind of has some knowledge of Harry Potter? Right? All right, I'm about to say something for my Harry Potter fans. Mud blood. What do you know about mud blood? Dirty. That's right. What What is a mud blood, Tara? Half muggle, half witch. So half magic, half not magic. And what do the people in this fake alternate reality, let me put that out there, okay? This fake alternate reality, what do the people think about mudbloods? They're bad. And literally, that they should die. And we go, oh, that, I could never. Right? That is so bad. Mm -mm. Third party politics. What would that be considered? Mudblood. Now look at both sides. What do they do instead of saying, you know what, maybe you got some right ideas. Bad, bad, bad. Right? So this is a, this is a theme in humanity. It becomes a theme in, in, in a lot of popular literature. Right? J.R.R. Tolkien has something similar where trolls or dwarves and, and hobbits had an interbred species people group. I don't know. It's fake. So how do you even really refer to those people? Right? But it also set the stage for the story that we're about to explore. You see, in about 780 BC, what does the BC mean? Before Christ. It actually means something else, but we'll accept that. Right? Before Christ. So the people group of the Jews, when we say Jews, what do we mean? The people of Israel, the people who their God is what? Yahweh, God the Father. There's a, 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 a conflict and there's a split over territory. Not that people do that, right? Because people are, are inherently good and they like to get along with one another. That's not true. All right? And in about 780 BC, there's a big conflict. And we have Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. All right, everybody familiar with this, this family tree? Well, in the, in the land, what has later come to be known as Mount Gerasim, we have the home of worship for a people group known as the Samaritans. They actually had a temple in about 440 BC. The temple, their temple was destroyed. I say all this because you'll need to understand how important and how significant this is for our, our passage, our teaching passage of Scripture today. But the, this people group, uh, so everybody is familiar with the term Samaritan, correct? Y'all remember this phrase as we've, as we've kind of examined and kind of dove deeper into Scripture? But who's ever kind of wondered, like, what does that mean? You don't have to feel guilty, raise your hand, right? Obviously, it means there are people from Samaria, right? Y'all are like, yeah, that's what I thought. But that's not actually what it is. It, it goes deeper than that. So Abraham was actually, oh, y'all ready for this? He was half Jew, half Gentile. Did y'all know that? 
Abraham was what would be called a mudblood, right? Yeah. What do we know about Jewish culture? Everything has ritual purity. By being pure, what does that mean? Whole. Can't be half, right? And what does God deliver in the form of a promise to Abraham? That your descendants will be more numerous than stars in the sky, than sand on the beach, right? So God, Yahweh, right, makes a promise to Abraham, who is half and half, he's a little Arnold Palmer, right, that he will, rusty water, right, that he will have descendants is numerous, more numerous than stars in the sky. So purists, as they'll be known as in, in our, our teaching today, uh, the purists, the Samaritans were, y'all ready for this? Half and half. In our conflict in 780 BC, some of the people group of Israel stays north, right? And about three-quarters of the majority goes south. Our people group later goes and has lineage. I'm going to say some names that will sound familiar to you. David. Right? Y'all know that one? Solomon. What does Solomon make? The temple in Jerusalem. Okay? Now we officially have two different temples. Alright? We have our, our temple up near Mount Ebal and Mount Gerasim. We have our temple down in Jerusalem. These are all background history information, insight. I'm a nerd, right? That you need so that you can understand the depth and the details of our teaching passage. So I'm going to start our teaching passage with this. John chapter 4, right? Verses 1 through 3. And the teaching passage says, Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back one more, once more, to Galilee. Right? So now we're starting to kind of have, we have history as well as we're, we're going to have our teaching passage, and they're about to start coming together. So the Samaritans are actually people who were half Gentile, half Jew. The Jewish people who stayed in the north started to intermarry. So look, they're good to stay in the north, right? Like, that's okay. We don't have to be together, but here's where it gets bad. They started marrying, intermarrying is what it's known as, with the people in the north and having little mudbloods. Oh! <gasps> And if you know anything about Jewish culture, how, what are they now? They are ritually impure, right? And they're not in a ritual impurity that can be ceremonially cleaned. And when we talk about ceremonial cleansing, what are, we, what are we talking about? We're talking about the taking and the offering of sacrifice of animals at the temple. And by doing such, there are ceremonial laws that you can go and sacrifice and be clean again. Well, this one is like a no-no, right? Like going and marrying another people group, that's a no-no. We will excommunicate you. Remember those third-party things that we were talking about beforehand? Are you starting to see how Scripture 
has repeated? Are you starting to see how history has this cycle of repeating itself? This isn't something that just applies to today or happened 500 years ago. We as a fallen people, as humanity, have an, a never-ending cycle where we don't learn and we keep repeating the same mistakes over and over. Uh, anybody else have a grandpa there ever tell them what it means to uh, keep repeating the same mistakes over and over? Insanity, right? Foolishness. That you know better, but you don't learn and you just keep doing it. And we read the Old Testament, we read the Pentateuch, this is the first five books of the Bible, we start to go into Joshua, and we read this about this people group known as Israel, and we see how they continue to make the same mistakes over and over, and we go, I would never, while we actively live in the same mistakes. I got to looking, and then some, it's 2020, so I guess this would be roughly 55 years ago. Hold on to that. I'm not going to ask you to raise hands, but there may or may not be a couple of people in this room that might be at or around 55 years old. Right? Let me do this math again. 20, 30. So mid-60s, right? You got mid-60s. So right before this Democratic National Convention. Am I doing some bad math? Why are people looking at me this way? In the 20s. We're in the 20s, Okay. So right before the same riots, we have states, multiple states, mind you. Y'all hear that? Multiple states where having interracial children was illegal. But people like to look at it like, oh, that was, that was, it was so long ago. You more than likely have a grandparent who was alive when in a lot of states, mostly in the South, you know, but we don't make mistakes down here in the South. We're just we're smart and we're strong. We happen to be, if you go and follow U.S. history, we happen to be the people group that caused a lot of bad things to happen. A lot, guys. A lot. Something as simple as interracial marriage was illegal 55 years ago. Right? We were talking to my grandma yesterday. And when my grandma was a kid, people were still picking cotton. African American, Caucasian, both. You know something that I, I went and looked last night? The price per pound from, from a Caucasian child, that's typically who picked cotton, was Caucasian children, right? Parents have a lot of kids so that they can work the farm. The cost per pound was significantly less for an African-American than a Caucasian kid. Same product, could have came literally out of the same field. People don't want to hear this. We're so far away from that. My grandma was literally telling us the stories yesterday of remembering this. We're not that far away from it, guys. And if we don't watch ourselves, we're doomed to make the same mistakes. And I say to you again, the whole world is watching. Conflict in the Southern Baptist Convention. I say it is because this is literally the, the biggest thing happening in the church around us right now. This was the perfect opportunity for both sides to meet in the middle and say, hey, 
Just because you have a different opinion on this issue, we're still together. But I'm going to tell you, probably in the next three to four years, unless something changes, the Southern Baptist Convention, for the first time in like a long time, is about to split. It's going to happen. Unless someone comes together to unify in a way that brings it together. Maybe you came from a charismatic background. You say, oh, well, you know, I'm, I was raised Pentecostal and that wouldn't happen. Actually, it's already happened for y'all. Oh, man. And then guess what? It happened multiple times, all of the multiple times. We have the, Pente we have the Pentecostal group, right? And then there's a Church of God group. And then the Church of God group even splits it up even further. Church of God of Prophecy, right? And we have Church of God. We have Church of God Whole Bible. Y'all. Again, you're like, oh, well, that was forever ago. Actually, this is in the past 40 years. People don't want to hear it. If we don't learn from our mistakes, we're doomed to repeat, guys. Verse 4, as we continue in our, teaching, in our teaching text. Now, this is Jesus, he had to go through Samaria. All right, we know about the Samaritans now. What are they? Mudbloods, right? I'm going to keep using that phrase because I grew up on Harry Potter, right? And like that makes sense to me. Now, he had to go through Samaria. What does it say? He had to go through Samaria. Can I tell y'all something? He actually didn't. By, 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 by actual trip, it's not the only way to go there. There's actually four main ways. One goes by the seacoast. One goes more inland. One goes like way out of the way. But the most direct and shortest path takes you right through Samaria. All right, remember, ceremonial cleanliness, right? So the travelers would actually often go through Samaria and once you go through Samaria, you are now ceremonial unclean. And we notice that in verse 4, it's very, very direct in the way that it phrases this. Now, he had to go through Samaria, which leads us to believe that maybe there's something deeper that's going to happen here, right? Maybe we need to get the gospel to the Samaritans. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar. That's a cool word, right? Sychar. All right. Near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Anybody ever heard of Joseph's? <clears throat> Everybody ever heard of Jacob's well? Like the Old Testament, you're familiar with this, right? If you have studied the Old Testament, like we're all over Deuteronomy right now. And we're actually... And the prophet Jeremiah talks about a lot of the same things that we're looking at right here. So this is near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. And it was about noon. Alright, now let's look at some, some geographical context. Anybody ever been to a desert? I haven't because I'm pale skinned and I'm not made for that, okay? All right, if I said the word desert, what was the first thing that came to your mind? Not sand. Hot. Hot and dry, right? So if you lived in a, in a climate that is hot and dry, what do you need a lot of? 
water. Like a lot. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, remember he's going through the heat in the middle of a desert. So this is a people group that relied heavily on water. And here he was, he sat down by the well, and it was about noon. All right, if you need water to live, and you didn't have pipes in your house back then, right? Like water didn't just magically make it into your house. And you're like, oh, that whew, I couldn't imagine. Your grandparents, some of the people in this room, your parents, they can remember a time when running water wasn't a thing. You had to fetch water. Like, I got to preach on that one. Like, whew, I remember them days. Stagnant well water. And if you were like, hey, if God really loved you, you had a creek. Right? Notice I didn't say a creek. You had a creek. And you went and you fetched water from the creek. All right, anybody know anything about transporting water? What is water? Heavy liquid. Thank you. <laughs> we took it next level, right? Water is heavy. All right, we're at noon in a desert. Is this the typical time to go and fetch water? No. The second hour, or about 8 a.m., right? And then... I'm not going to do the math, but 8 p.m., roughly nightfall, those are the two most popular times. And anybody ever heard of the phrase, meeting at the water cooler? Right? This is like a modern, this is a first world problem thing, where men stand around, drink coffee, and stand at a water cooler. This actually has roots from this exact same time. If you wanted to go and socialize men, women, y'all ready for something? You're not allowed to talk in public. Think about that. That is stupid, now that we keep going. So if a woman is not allowed to talk in public, what we're about to see, I need y'all to hold on to that. Women, you can't talk in public. And if you're a Samaritan woman, you definitely can't talk in public, and you definitely can't talk to a Jewish man. Follow. Verse 7, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? All right, boom, y'all. Big things just happened right here. I know y'all are just like, hey, just ask her for some water. No, he just reached across cultural lines. He just reached across religious lines. He just reached across economic lines. She's poor. He just reached across every dividing line that we put up. He just reached across them. But we have a pe we we are now living in a time where people say. I can't witness to that person. He's an alcoholic. I can't witness to that person. She's a homosexual. I can't witness to that person. They're poor. What if they ask me for something? Then look at that as favor from God that you have a chance. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? Verse 8. His disciples had gone into town to buy food. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Can Jews and Samaritans, can they talk to each other? No. All right, Jesus, you got to think, Peter likes to do what? He likes to talk and he likes to be opinionated. 
Can you imagine how that conversation went when Jesus said, Hey, Peter, you got to take the boys, you got to go into town, and you got to go get some food. Peter's like, Hey, Jesus, you must be hot from the heat because we can't go talk to them. We definitely can't get their food. Can, can you just imagine how that conversation went? Notice John didn't put that one in here, right? So John's like, I ain't going to talk about that. That one was bad. Peter likes to be boisterous, right? Like he likes to be opinionated. And some of us look at Peter and go, I could never. You do. Every day you do. You think only your opinion matters. So his disciples, Jesus had told them, look, this ceremonial clean, cleanliness thing, don't worry about that right now. You need food. F-O-O-D, right? Like you don't need to die. You need food. I got the water situation handled. We're in the Gospel of John, so we've already had water into wine, right? We've already had him having this late night conversation with Nicodemus, who is a Pharisee, right? So he's like the holiest of holy, or so he thinks. And what did, what did that conversation end with? You need to be born again, right? The holiest of holy, right? The this ceremonial guy, and what did Jesus say to him? Not like, yo, bro, you're doing a really good job. I'm proud of you. No, he said you need to be born again. Follow that trend. Verse 9, the Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. So she basically looks at him and says, I don't think you know what you're doing right now. Are you hot? Right? Like, do you need a moist towelette? Do, do you need to cool off a bit? Because I'm a Samaritan woman. So there's first and foremost. I'm Samaritan. I'm dirty. And I'm a woman. Right? Why are you talking to me, Jesus? Look at this because we needed... How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Middle of the day, y'all, in the heat, this woman emerges what does that mean even within her culture? That she is unclean within an unclean culture. So like, she's not just a Samaritan woman, y'all. She is a sinner among sinners. I can understand her story, right? Like, I get where she's coming from. I've been there. I've been so dirty in my sin that I have to get away from other people because I'm afraid of what I'll do to them. I'm afraid of what other people might think about me because I'm a sinner. But she gets it, y'all. Maybe not right this second, but when we leave this encounter, she gets it. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Look back at verse 6 for a brief second, y'all. 
Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon, right? We're in the middle of the day, in the middle of a desert. Y'all think that, that 95 we're hitting out there with some humidity is bad? Imagine that 113 they sitting in, right? That's so dry that it literally pulls the salt out of your skin. Y'all trying to hear that. Most people meet there in the middle of the day. He meets her. What did, what did verse 4 say? Now he had to go through Samaria, right? He meets us exactly where we are, guys. In the middle of our sin. In the middle of our toughest times. He meets us right there in our sin. We get so worried about what will people think. I ain't worried about what people think. What can Jesus do? Verse 11 continues, Sir, right? Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. He's talking about giving her salvation. Go read the book of Jeremiah. Go read the book of Psalms. See this term living water that he's talking about and know what he's talking about. She knows not of this Scripture yet, guys. Why? Because Samaritans only have the first five books. They have the law. They don't have the prophets. Right? So she doesn't know what happens with Joshua. That split happens in 780. All she has is the first five books. She don't have the big picture yet. She is meeting the big picture firsthand, face to face, y'all. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with in the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? She thinks that he's talking about a literal moving stream of water. She's like, man, I'm from here. There ain't no creek nearby, right? The only way to get water is down in that well, and you don't have a bucket. You don't have a pitcher. See, we know about those pitchers. Anybody remember? They were about 30 gallons, right? I don't know if y'all know anything about 30 gallons, but imagine 30 gallons of water. Not even the container to hold them, right? Just imagine they're in the, the lightweight plastic. You think you can carry 30 gallons? You're dragging that bad boy, right? Like a mule. So she's going to have to leave there with this water. So she's got her container, right? She's got her pail to fetch the water. She says... Hey, buddy, I, I don't know if you uh, know anything about getting water out of this well, but you ain't exactly well equipped. Where, where is it that I can get this living water that you talk about? She's like, look, I'm tired of, of sending my pitcher down five gallons at a time and fetching. You got a better idea. You tell me about it, right? Verse 12, are you greater than our father Jacob? So here's our split, right? Here's our 780 split. Who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. She said, do you think you're, you're greater than our forefather? Right? Do you think you're greater than the person who literally gave us this plot of land? Do you think that you're greater than Israel? 
Verse 13. Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. Go outside for about five minutes, y'all. Get nice and hot, right? Come back in here, drink your little, drink your little bit of water, and then go back outside. Is that water going to hold you off? No. Negative, Ghost Rider. That's exactly what she's talking about. Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. He is just telling her all about who he is, but she don't get it yet. Indeed, the water that I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. She said, he, Jesus says to her, no, no, you're looking for a physical body of water, and what I'm telling you is that I grant, I grant a water that makes you not thirsty anymore, right? I feed the soul. You're talking about feeding the physical body, right? You're talking about hydrating this thing, and I'm telling you how to get to heaven, and you don't see it yet. And we look at her and we say, oh, she's so silly. She doesn't even know. Jesus is right there in front of her. Y'all, Jesus could have come face to face with you and you're so worried about your stuff, you don't even see it. But y'all don't want to hear that. The whole world is watching. How you handle these small little issues says a lot more about your character than it does the receiving end of the equation, guys. How you love on people who need you says a lot more about the God who you serve than it does about the person who had a need. The whole world is watching. Verse 15. She says exactly what I'm thinking, y'all. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to come here to draw water. Her mind went back to the physical all over again, right? She's like, hey, stranger in the desert who's talking to a Samaritan woman, you're an odd fella. Tell me how I get this water at my house, right? Hey, fella, I'll bring the trowel if you're going to help me get this stream to my house. And we, again, we, we, we look at her and we laugh at her and say, oh, she don't see it, y'all. Jesus is right there in front of her. She don't see it. You don't see it. Your reaction proves that you don't see it. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. People will, will often try and talk about how well, Jesus was just, if he was encouraging these things, this way of life, he was just a big, right? Y'all heard that before? From people who are living in sin, usually. He just wants to give us a rule book. He just wants to condemn us. The Bible actually says he don't come here to condemn us, right? He comes here to save us. Now look at this. He told her, go call your husband and come back. Did he say, hey, you adulterer? Hey, you woman who lives in lust, is that what he said? No, because what? He didn't come here to condemn. 
He came here to save. He is giving her an opportunity to bring her sin to him because he went and met her where she was. The whole world is watching. Verse 17. Here is where many of us fall short. Here's where a lot of us don't see the opportunity to accept the salvation that Jesus offers, to accept the forgiveness that Jesus offers. Because we just see the finger pointing and the you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. Right? Or you can't do this thing that you think is fun that's going to make you feel bad in 30 minutes. Y'all don't want to hear that. But she, this Samaritan woman, this unclean woman, she gets it. I have no husband, she replied. So she didn't say, oh, I'll go. She's living with a man, y'all. She didn't say, oh, I'll go get him, right, and go and get the sin that she's living in. She didn't lie. She didn't deflect. She didn't run away. She said, I don't have a husband. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. He didn't say, you adulterer. He knows everything about her. He didn't say, you harlot. He didn't say, you heathen. He said, you're right. You have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands. And the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Verse 19, sir, the woman said. And she goes right back to the physical, y'all. She got it, right? But she doesn't have anything beyond the first five books, right? So she doesn't see and understand. Check this out. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. So she's only heard of prophets. She doesn't know the full prophecy. She just knows of prophets. And her culture actually tells her, hey, look, there's other people that believe in things beyond the first five books. Don't, don't do that. that. Those things are dirty. That's what her culture tells her. Verse 20, our ancestors worshiped on this mountain. But you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. They're so worried about where to worship. They don't understand that who you worship is literally there. That the man who came to save us from our sins is there. Because they were so busy worried about semantics, about tertiary issues, that they lost sight of the Savior. They were so worried about a salvation that they didn't even comprehend that they missed the Savior. They were so worried about trying to get to heaven that they lost sight of bringing heaven to earth. The whole world is watching how we handle these things, guys. Verse 21, Woman, Jesus replied, Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. See, that's what caused the split, y'all. That's what caused the split. That's what caused the second war. That's what caused the destruction of the temple at Mount Gerasim, right? Well, we worship in Jerusalem, so anywhere else is, mm, no, you can't do that. No, no, no. 
They miss sight of the Savior. Verse 22, you Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Did it? Wait a minute, wait a minute. These are the words of Jesus. These are in red, right? Did he say that salvation is for the Jews? Salvation is from the Jews. Very important right there. It's for all who call on the name of the Lord. You're so worried about what sin somebody else is living in that you don't see your own sin. You're so worried about the speck in their eye that you don't see the log in your own. Verse 23, Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. Verse 24, God is spirit. The spirit and the truth, guys. Anybody remember a certain phrase Jesus says, I am the way and the truth? Oh, man. Look at, the, look at Scripture coming together right here, y'all. For God is spirit, the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, right? The spirit that is poured out on each and every one of us at our belief and our calling of his name. Jesus just brought together literally the Godhead, right? God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He just called it all together right here. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. Verse 25, the woman said, I know that Messiah, so literally what she would have said right here is, I know that the Christ, right? I know that the Christ is coming. Because we like to think that, Je what's Jesus' name, y'all? Jesus Christ. That's not his name. His name actually would have been like Jesus Nazarene, right? Because you're known by your, your name and then your, your geographical description. This Jesus Christ thing, this is literally us calling Jesus the Messiah. So when you say Jesus Christ, you're saying Jesus is Messiah. So she said, I know that Messiah is coming. Can y'all imagine the snicker on Jesus' face right there? He's like, look, and in that moment, lady, you just got it. Because in this moment, just think, she would have went from, hey, a Savior's coming, and he's just standing there in front of her. Right? Because she gets it. Can you imagine the excitement on that lady's face when she's putting this thing together? You ever watch somebody when they're like, you see that literal moment where they put things together and they go from like, they're thinking it through and then they go, oh, what do we call it? We call it the aha moment, right? This is her aha moment. But here's the cool part. What's her name? We don't know. The Samaritan woman at the well. But because of her willingness, guess what we get? Salvation beginning to the Gentiles. Why is this right here important? Because later in the book of Acts, when we see the church start to spread, people come from Samaria. They come from Gentile lands because they want to hear the teaching in the upper room. And what happens in deployment in the upper room is that the gospel makes it into all 
all corners of the world, just like Jesus called for. That happens in part because of this encounter right here. And we're going to continue next week in the Sermon on the Mount, and you're going to hear about lust, and you're going to hear about divorce. And if you don't see the big picture, it's easy to get caught up on Jesus making a checklist. But Jesus is saying so much more than a checklist. Jesus is saying you're no longer defined by this thing. You are a child of God. You will worship in spirit and in truth. Verse 25 again. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And imagine for real, guys, just that moment of she's just talking. Because remember, culture has told her she's not allowed to talk to him. So she's still probably talking to his feet at this point in time. Because they're women and they're not allowed to make eye contact with men in public. So she's still looking at his feet while she's talking to him. And there comes that moment where Jesus, with open arms, says, I'm here. I'm here, daughter. I'm here, sister. I am here. The one that you speak of is right here. And in that moment, she gets it. And I say to you again, guys, the whole world is watching. Verse 26, then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. What does Yahweh mean? I am what did I tell y'all? What is Jesus' name? Yeshua. What does Yeshua mean? Yahweh saves. In this moment, Jesus just brought it all together. I am the Son of God. To this Samaritan woman in the middle of the desert, he, this is the only time before the trial of Christ, right before the passion, that he actually says, I'm the son of God. And who did it come to? What society then would have called not a credible witness? A sinner. And he declared his identity just like he does to each and every single one of you here today. I'm going to pray for us really quick. Uh, we'll bring the kids down. We actually, uh, we, we celebrate... Uh, Communion every single week. Uh, so this is the believer's communion, right? We literally celebrate the sacrifice that Jesus is talking about to come right here. Just a little, little spoiler alert, guys. Look at verse 28 if you got your physical Bible in front of you. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. At some point in time, we're all called for this exact charge, guys. At some point in time, we have to go out into our town and tell of the man who told us everything we ever did. I'm going to pray for us real quick. We'll bring our kids in. Hey, kids. We're going to pray real quick, okay, guys? Dear Heavenly Father, God, we're just so thankful for your sacrifice of your son, God. We're just so thankful, Jesus, for your willingness to die our death on a sinner's cross. 
We just pray that today, Lord, we not leave this place unchanged, God. That any, any baggage we carry, Lord, we leave behind at the foot of the cross, God. We just pray in this place together as a body of believers, God, that we leave changed. That the foundations of our lives are shook at its roots. We pray these things in your heavenly glorious name. Amen.